Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms, conscious commentary on business and society. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. Today we'll be talking about three major topics in the news, including the latest on global warming, the effects and solutions therein, an update on the Close Diablo Canyon campaign, which is the Academy's effort to close the last nuclear power plant in California, and updates on uh, our thoughts on the U.S. economic situation. In today's lightning round, we'll discuss ways to protect your investments, including our outlook for inflation. But, uh, Ronaldo, let's start with the news about the uh, threat to Diablo Canyon. Can you talk about the, the new report out about the subduction zone off the coast of California? Yeah, thanks very much, Matt. And um, I just want to recap for our listeners that the uh, the Academy believes that there are three reasons why Diablo Canyon should immediately be closed. One of them is based on the health study that we completed and have filed with the County of San Luis Obispo, which clearly states that people are dying from uh, toxic radi- radioactive isotopes, strontium-90 and others, which are raining down from the, uh, from the uh, off-gassing that routinely occurs at Diablo Canyon. We've documented it, and we've said that if you are about five miles downwind in the plume, the wind plume, you're in the, in the, in the, in the eye of the bullseye, and you're going to incur increased rates of death, cancer, low child birth weights, et cetera. And we've, been, and we've demonstrated this by a, de, a zip code by zip code study, which conclusively proves that that danger then starts to drop off from five miles as far as 62 miles. Also, that area includes a tremendous amount of agriculture, which people eat all over the state and all over the country. So number one, it's killing people just by normal operation. Number two, it's got an exemption which expires in December to do once through cooling, meaning it's allowed to take water that it, in hundreds of millions of gallons uh, constantly going through, uh, and it dumps it back in the ocean 20 degrees hotter than the water it took in. It's the only plant in California, any power plant along the coast that's allowed to do that. Uh, we s- we strongly believe that that should be stopped. Should, that exemption should not be continued in December when it's up. And the Water Quality Board ought to say, wait a minute, everybody else has got to do two ice through cooling. Why should we let you continue to kill the marine zone directly offshore of the plant? with 20-degree hot water, and I believe that there's a possibility that will bring it to an end. But the third one, and the one that gets the most attention for why Diablo should close, are the, is the existence of these fault lines. So since the last show, you've heard us talk before about the fact that uh, when Inspector uh, Dr. Michael Peck was there, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission Safety Inspector, who was assigned to monitor Diablo Canyon, when he was there, he concluded that the plant was inherently unsafe and op- most likely operating beyond its permitted authority. And for that, he was told to retract. He didn't, and then they reassigned him, and they took him out of inspection, and they told him to start teaching classes in Tennessee, and they pulled him out of California prematurely. We now know, in the last 30 days, that he had filed a 38- to 40-page professional dissenting opinion on that decision that he was wrong with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And in that, he pointed out that if we knew then what we know now about the three faults that form a triangle on Diablo, the plant would never have been permitted where it currently is sited. We didn't know those fault lines were there, maybe, but we do know now, and we know that when two or more fault lines touch, which they do in the case of Diablo Canyon, that you get an enhanced shake from the, I mean, the, the, the degree of the tembler is substantially higher than it would have been. Now, we just had a 62 earthquake, Richter scale earthquake in Napa Valley, and we only lost $50 million worth of wine. If that 6.2 had been a 7.5 or greater, which is what's likely to hit Diablo, just a few hundred miles away, we'd be looking at a, at a nuclear power plant that could have characteristics that resemble Fukushima more than they resemble anything safe. Mm. So we, we're looking at a power plant that is inherently unsafe because of these 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 um, tremendously powerful forces which are released by earthquakes. Now that report, that 3840-page report that Dr. Peck filed is required by uh, nuclear regulatory commissions to be answered within three to four months maximum. 
It has to be answered in detail. It turns out it was never responded to, even though it's a violation of Nuclear Regulatory Commission rules, even though it was filed last June, so more than a year ago. Senator Boxer has now announced that she's going to hold hearings in the U.S. Senate on two topics. One, what is the substantive response? And don't say that we don't agree with it, which is all the NRC has said. What is the substantive response to the 38 pages of data and opinion that Dr. Peck was courageous enough to put in writing? And number two, why did you violate your own rules and fail to respond to it as you're required to? And Barbara Boxer is on this one now, which I think is going to elevate the visibility of this plant to where it should be because it's the most dangerous nuclear power plant in America. Independent experts have said that every year it operates, there is a one in six chance that that plant will get a will be hit with a massive seismic event. Now, 1.6, one, one chance out of six, that's the same exact chance as you get if you play Russian roulette. Would you really be willing to put a bullet in a gun, spin uh, the chamber, and put it to your temple and pull the trigger? I don't think most people would do that. Every year. And it, Every year that one in six comes up. So that was where we were as of Monday. Tuesday, all heck broke loose. It turns out that a major study that was released Tuesday indicates that subduction faults, which are characteristic of what's offshore of California, subduction faults, and that's what hit Fukushima, and there's many of them over in Japan, specifically subduction faults in the Pacific, are likely to produce massive earthquakes of a nine-point scale. And that plant's not equipped to do anything much more over 7 point something, 7.2 to 7.5, and that, I think, would stretch it to the breaking point. And we just had a 6.2. So it, and, and, and that 6.2 occurred where there was only one fault line, not two, and no subduction plate was involved. So we're talking about something that's a powder keg, and frankly, the fuse has been lit. The question is how long is the fuse before it goes off? Now, we'll be looking for more information on that study as it, as it comes forth in the public. But basically what it's saying is we've got to stop taking Pacific Ocean subduction faults as if it's a casual occurrence, we got to start taking earthquakes and their implications for nuclear power serious. we got to stop letting nuclear power heat oceans by 20 degrees, killing the marine life there nearby. You know that 85%, it's now been, di- it's now been documented, 85% of all the damage done to California coastal waters by power plants sited on the coastline, 85% of that damage is done by one plant, Diablo Canyon. So our goal has to be to shut this thing before that one in six chance goes off. And we're sitting with many, many millions of people and all the central California coastline uh, in phenomenal danger, as was Fukushima. Yeah. And if listeners would like more information about the closed Diablo Canyon campaign and how, what they can do, uh, there's, there's a letter template on our website that they can use to write a letter to the water board to encourage them to not give Diablo Canyon another pass and allow and force them to uh, change their practices using ocean water to cool their plant. Uh, you can find that at safeenergyproject.org. Again, that's safeenergyproject, all one word, dot org. They'll take you to uh, a site that has a bunch of different links and resources for this specific campaign. And, 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 and you know, Matt, you want to add Matt I want to... Go ahead. I just want to add for people's benefit. We're talking about Diablo Canyon in California, and I just want my listeners to know that doesn't exempt you if you live in Iowa. We are monitoring today unbelievable toxic radiation that spews out of Fukushima every single day. Although the news is not covering it, the Fukushima nuclear reaction continues every single day underground and is polluting the the, the water going into the Pacific Ocean with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of gallons of radioactive water. And it's literally, there's not one bluefin tuna caught off the coast of California now that does not have detectable radiation from Fukushima. So what I want people to understand is, you may think the Diablo Canyon is a California problem, just like you might think that the fact that the state of California is on fire right now is a California problem. And I'll come back to that later. But these are all related. I don't care if you live in Keokuk, Iowa, or Manhattan. When a nuclear power plant like Fukushima goes off, it puts out potentially for hundreds, if not thousands of years, a level of toxic radioactivity that will literally mutate the human species. 
Now, we've got to start looking at that saying, you know what, we can't afford to have another Fukushima. We haven't figured out how to fix the last one, and it hasn't been stopped yet. So Diablo Canyon is not just something that you ought to write about if you're a Californian to the California Water Board. Tell them you care about it because you live in Keokuk, Iowa, or you live in Des Moines, or Dubuque, or, or Austin, Texas, anywhere you're listening. Write to the California Water Board and say, look, stop this twice through cooling because it's destroying the water going into the Pacific Ocean. They don't deserve that exemption. And the reason why it's so important, folks, they've told us themselves, PG&E, that if, that were to, if they were to lose that exemption, they would close the plant. So let's get that exemption pulled. And by the way, I want to talk to you about PG&E for a second. Something astounding just happened. The same people who have been telling us everything they do has been safe for years. As you know, PG&E blew up a good chunk of a town in Northern California called San Bruno, California, with a gas line. And they knew the gas line was leaking, and they didn't fix it. Now, what's happened is PG&E is in the process of being fined in the billions for having done that. Just on Tuesday of this week in California, PG&E was caught trying to improperly influence the president of the California Public Utilities Commission by working out a deal with his number one legal assistant, his, his, his administrative assistant, to remove the judge in the San Bruno case because they were afraid the judge was going to rule against them. And, of course, attempting to influence the president of the commission is extraordinarily improper. Some would say highly illegal. It's resulted in, and in the email chain came out, so that staff person was immediately had to resign. The president of the commission, who was pro-PG&E, has been forced to take no hand in the decision at this point. He's had to recuse himself. And PG&E, this same criminally inclined enterprise, which was attempting to improperly influence California regulatory authorities, just this Tuesday got caught. They're the same people that have been telling the great lie that Diablo is safe. They're the same people that say, give us an exemption for once through cooling. They're the same people who say, we don't want to hear about radioactive poisoning that's occurring in Central California. I just want to tie that. You know, I want to connect those dots for people. There yeah. are some companies that do not act in the public interest, and we have to stop letting them get a pass. Right. This is as bad as what we did with the financial crisis where we gave all the financial firms a pass. Come on. These are regulated utilities. They're supposed to have a higher standard of duty towards the public, not a lower one. And I well, don't know of a single company I've ever been involved with that would permit this kind of conduct without firing the CEO for it. And a few years back, they spent $43 million trying to pass a uh, statewide referendum to kill the community choice aggregation law, which allows local, local municipalities uh, to contract with independent power producers to uh, buy their own power. So PG&E is doing their best to hang on their, to their monopoly, you know, for the exact reason you're stating. They're, out, they're, they're, they're a notoriously bad company. And if they don't have monopoly power, then chances are their competitiveness is just way behind and they'll get destroyed in, in a real heads-up competition. Um, and it, it's got to end. So I, I'm glad the work we're doing is, is a part of that, Ronaldo. And I think that we're on the cusp of having a real impact at Diablo Canyon, uh, you see them essentially doing all they can to hang on to that plant. And I think that the, the, the powers are aligning and our work there has been crucial to really highlighting the risks and giving everyone another really solid uh, reason to close Diablo. And, and I, I'm just proud of the Academy's work there and your work and Dr. Jerry Brown's work. Yeah, I think it's, it's so critical. And, and, I, and you know, I, one of my favorite quotes always is, don't let the fact you can't do everything stop you from doing anything. Yeah. And in this case, a simple letter to the water board, everybody who's listening, there's thousands of people who are going to listen to this particular broadcast, this, e this e uh, blog radio show. Thousands and thousands of you are listening. Please, stop for a minute. Think of your children, your grandchildren. If you don't have any children, think of your uncle or your niece and their grandchildren. Think of anybody you know's children. And say, you know what? It's time to do the moral thing. Hold companies accountable. We are the World Business Academy. We stand for the principle that you can make just as much money, in fact, more money, by doing what's right for society than buying a, being a predator. And until PG&E stops being a predator, we've got to be on their case, folks. We've got to bring this company to justice. And when we do, I want you to know I'll be the first one to embrace them and say, great, I'm glad you're ready to change your ways. Let's let the past be the past. Now go out and do some good stuff. 
but we can't get off their case until they turn around. And right now, they continue unabatedly to do things that are harmful to the public. Absolutely. So while we're on the topic of energy, Ronaldo, let's talk about uh, the urgency of finding a new way of doing energy, um, in part because of the effects we're seeing on the weather. Um, you wanted to talk about California being on fire and some of the other direct implications of climate change that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I think that it's really important that we talk about it um, because, you know, the uh, I guess we've lost about, about 200 homes and have now been damaged by the weed fire that's burning virtually out of control for more than a week in Northern California. Um, yeah, you've got another 2,500 homes that are supposedly or purportedly threatened already. There is no end in, in sight to this to these fires. There's, there's at least, I don't know, about nine or ten all over California. So the state of California, and this is the beginning of fire season, by the way, the state of California is literally aflame. You've got the southwest part of the United States, which is in a prolonged, irreversible climate change-caused drought, which is literally in a pro- prolonged drought punctuated by flash flooding, meaning that even when that flash flood is over today, which it will be, and they, go, and they continue on with their drought, they're not going to have enough water left from what flooded through them on a couple of days of massive rainstorms to reverse the, the, the lack of water that they need in the southwest just to survive. These things are connected. All of these things that are happening on a climate scale basis are all connected. And, you know, I've been talking about climate change for a long time now, for, I guess, eight, nine years. And I, I heard my good friend Deepak Chopra say something today, which I knew was true, uh, and I didn't know that he was willing to articulate it as well. He had a story he told about his seven-year-old grandson. And what the grandson asked him, you know, because his grandson is very, gosh, he's like a little researcher. He's on Pokemon, and he's on the web, and he's got his little, you know, he's accessing all the time. He's seven years old, and he's very curious. And he said to Deepak, he asked Deepak as his grandfather, am I going to be a climate change victim before I get to be your age? And it stopped Deepak cold in his tracks. And Deepak had to tell him the best way he could, well, I'm afraid that is very possible. Now, he went on, Deepak, at a meeting we were at together. He and I were doing a a talk at the Commonwealth Club here in California last uh, Monday morning. And he went on, and after he told that story, he said, and the tragedy is, it's worse than I told him. Because from Deepak's point of view, and and I'm now quoting him, we're looking at the inevitability of a mass human extinction event, which he feels there's very little chance now of avoiding. You know, mass human extinction does not mean we're going to lose a couple hundred million people here or there. It means billions of people, billions and billions of people. So what I want people to hear in this call today, this, in this show, it is time to get it in your gut as well as your head. We absolutely must stop creating greenhouse gases. We have to begin to re-engineer the damage we've done to bring the planet fever down so it can safely sustain human life again. And every day we wait, the task becomes harder because more methane is being released. Just since the last show a couple weeks ago, you've heard me talk many times over the last several years about methane releases from permafrost. You've also heard me talk about methane releases from the Arctic and from the Santa Barbara Channel and from the North Sea. And you've also heard me say that methane upon initial release is 40 times more warming to the atmosphere than carbon dioxide. But what I've never told you before is that the entire East Coast, what's called the Atlantic Rift, the entire East Coast of the United States of America has a giant rift in the seafloor, which is now gurgling methane out of it all along the length of the eastern seaboard from roughly the Carolinas north. So people need to understand when the, when the ocean gurgles up methane gas, when permafrost is no longer permanent and belches methane gas, on top of the increasing greenhouse gas emissions, which today will be greater than they were yesterday, just carbon dioxide alone. When you put that all together, we are past the tipping point. And, and what Deepak was trying to tell people at the Commonwealth Club, and what I, I'm echoing, is we have a crisis on our hands that is here now. It's the largest crisis that human society has faced in 190,000 years. 
because 190,000 years ago, we had an ice age, and it forced everybody alive that was human on the planet to the tip of South Africa. Only 10,000 of us survived. All 7 billion of us today are direct descendants of those people who survived at Pinnacle Point. You do not want to even envision the dystopian world that is coming. The violence that you're seeing in Syria, the health breakdown that you're seeing with Ebola in Liberia and Guyana, all of these are child's play compared to what's really cooking. Because when you heat the planet to this level, that methane comes belching out of it, you create a situation where billions of humans will die from disease, from armed conflict. You know, just uh, yesterday, in the, in the, no, today in the New York Times, there was a story about uh, what they believe now 500 migrants from Africa who sunk in, a, in an accident as they were fleeing Africa to get to Italy. Mm-hmm. They have had over 120,000 migrants make it to shore in Italy, I believe, in the last 12 months. 120,000. Many of them women and children, many of them unaccompanied minors. Now, we don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands have died, but the policy of the European Union just changed not long ago from interdict and send them back to find them and bring them safely to port. We, yeah. we are going to have mass relocations of human populations that we're not capable of dealing with. The politics alone are going to be insane. And that's before the water runs out. So if you think what's going on in the Middle East is bad today, that's not even, that's like inning one of a nine-inning game. You haven't begun to see it yet. At the same time, if you were to stabilize that region, create increasing wealth, which we could do, it would undercut the ability of ISIS to organize itself into a fighting force that's being so uh, vicious. And to that end, we've got a video, which we'll be putting on our website within the next 30 days, where I've been interviewed on this topic, called A Multi-State Solution to the Middle East Crisis. We're also in the first draft of a paper that will accompany it. Hopefully we'll get it done in the next couple of weeks. The reason I throw this out is, until you start looking at climate change as the umbrella issue under which everything else falls, you won't understand the enormity of what we have to accomplish and how fast we have to accomplish it. So I share that with people not to be an alarmist. I also want you to know that the Academy has developed numerous strategies for surviving and for turning this climate change issue around. But that is what we're up against. And every single person listening, if you think this isn't going to hit in your lifetime, you're wrong, it's hitting now. If you think every child under the age of 20 today in the United States isn't going to face an enormous crisis in their lifetime, which they probably won't survive, if you think that the population of 7. Point billion people on the planet would drop by 2 to 5 billion people if we don't get and change this thing now, and that's a conservative estimate, it could be worse, then you must get it in your stomach as well as your head. This is the biggest crisis that human society has ever faced, and we have to tackle it now. So please, if you're listening, let that in. And don't let the fact you can't do everything stop you from doing something. Start with a letter to the water board. Start with forming a group in your own home. Invite a couple of people. Form a World Business Academy discussion group. Listen to this program together. Come up with questions. Send them into us. We'll answer them. Start talking about the things that you can do locally. That's what we do at our monthly meeting. We started with a meeting in my house with a few people in February. We're up to over 100 people a month coming. We had to get a, a local art gallery donor to donate his art gallery every month because we can't fit in my living room. Okay, And what we're doing is we're tackling local issues like Diablo Canyon. We're tackling uh, California energy issues. And we're tackling global issues like climate change. And we're tackling global issues like Fukushima. So we are thinking and acting globally, and we're thinking and acting locally both. That starts with the citizen beginning to realize it is up to them. You cannot trust that you can appoint someone else to do this for you. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't try to find someone who will do the hard work for you. You are in the fight of your life. If you're about 55 years of age or older, you might escape the worst of it. Conceivably, you will. But if you're under 55, you've got a really bad row coming. And if you're under 20, may God have mercy on you. It's going to be that bad. So please, take it to heart. Join this, 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 this movement and help us begin to turn around. We're smart enough. We can pull this off, and we must turn it around. As to quote Sir Winston Churchill in the Battle of Britain in the middle of World War II, to let Hitler win, he said, 
is something that we cannot let happen. And they asked him, how can you stop it? And he said, my dear fellow, we will be victorious. He said, how do you know, Mr. Churchill? And he said, because the opposite conclusion is unthinkable. The conclusion that we can't stop and turn climate change around is unthinkable. And we can, by the way. Stay tuned. Yeah, and to that point, Ronaldo, there's an important gathering happening this weekend. Uh, the march itself is on Sunday, but it's starting in Central Park in New York City on Sunday at 11.30 a.m. local time there, and it's the People's Climate March. Um, the organizers and some close friends of mine uh, anticipate 200,000 people, at, at, and, and I think that that's actually going to be exceeded. That's going to be the largest climate change march in history by far, and they will be marching to the uh, UN General Assembly ahead of the UN Conference on Climate Change. So this is a, yeah, a mobilization that's happening across the, the country. There's uh, one on the West Coast that I'll be participating in on Saturday. So go to 350.org for more details and uh, go ahead and look and see what's going on in your community if you can't make it to New York. By the way, uh, you know, one of the, one of the statistics that just came out this, 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 this week is that they officially have now, the UN has officially designated that the Great Barrier Reef in Australia is more than 50% dead. That's the largest aggregation of coral on the planet, the lungs of the ocean, over 50% dead and dying rapidly from climate change, meaning acidification of the ocean and rising temperature of the ocean. Now, people have to realize this is not happening just in Australia. It's not just happening with the, the, the flash floods and drought in the southwest, and it's not just the fires that keep California aflame. So what are the questions we've got to ask ourselves, Matt? When are we going to stop buying equipment that burns fossil fuels. Yeah. When are we just going to stop doing it? It's sort of like a heroin addict can't keep can't stop injecting with the needle. It's that it's that big an addiction, and and the reason it's still around is because of the power, the concentrated power of the fossil fuel companies. Now, people never thought that we would ever get bigger than King Coal. King Coal is virtually gone. It won't even be an, a, a, a credible industry in ten to fifteen years, and it's dying quickly. I I would argue that petroleum is going the same way, and so is natural gas. There was an article that came out just uh, yesterday or today, yesterday, yesterday, actually. Lazard Frères, the investment bank, calculated and released a study saying that wind and solar are now price competitive with even natural gas and probably are cheaper. So there's no excuse to not be using renewables. When, they, when someone like Lazard Frères says it's cheaper to use wind and solar unsubsidized, than it is to use natural gas. People ought to stop and look at that and say, well, if that's the case, then why are we going back to the heroin? Why do we go back to the fossil fuels and keep adding more GHGs? And what I said recently to a couple of senior officials in California on Tuesday, look, we've got to lead the nation in California. We have to show people how we can do this 100% fossil-free. Not 80, not 60, not 30. They're so happy, they're proud that they got 35% fossil-free. That's, yeah, Believe me, that's nice. It's just a start. We've got to get to 100%. We've got to stop the planetary fever. And every day that we keep buying equipment that consumes fossil fuels is another day that we're pouring gasoline on a planetary fire. So I look at California and go, if California is burning right now and you aren't going to stop buying stuff that puts more greenhouse gas in the air, when do you stop? It's suicidal. It's suicidal. And it's really time for people to go, wait a minute. We bought this. We drank this Kool-Aid they were selling at the oil companies and the natural gas companies. For a very long time, we made them very, very, very rich. Okay, let's get off the drug. Let's do this smart. Let's do renewables. And I hope that the march in Washington will carry out that theme. When we talk about the lightning round, I will be delighted to report that the continuing deterioration of oil company stocks has, has gone on still further. Excellent. Well, a quick note for our listeners, the World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and our work re relies on people like the listeners of this show to join in and help support it. We have a $25 a month associate membership level that I'd like to encourage you, if you're listening now, to sign up for. If you go to our website at worldbusiness.org, click on Become a Member on the right side of the page. Your support is essential if we're going to keep uh, if we're going to be able to keep fighting for a safe future for our families and our civilization. Uh, Ronaldo, and remember, now, remember I want people to, because I don't say this often enough, I don't charge a penny to the World Business Academy 
for all the years of service I've put in and for the 40-plus hours a week I'm putting in now. And why I'm saying that is not to brag, because frankly, I'm burning my savings at a pretty high rate. I'm saying that because that's how committed I am that every penny you put in is going to go to these issues, which literally are life and death. And I urge you, there's nobody listening who can't afford $25 a month. There's nobody listening who can't get one other person to join them for a monthly conversation for just an hour, hour and 15 minutes. You know what we do in our conversation? And Matt's been there many times. What we do is we serve a little wine and cheese so people can chit-chat for the first half hour. Then we put our program on. With what, or we report back what we've done for the prior month, what we're doing this time. We, we, we spend about an hour doing that. We have guests come and talk to us. Our, we've become such a big group now that we've got, um, you know, the state senator has come by at her request. The state assemblyman has come by to speak to us at his request. Uh, we're able to promote measures that we think are really important, like a, no, a yes on P to stop fracking in the Central Coast area, uh, draw up letters to water board members, draw up letters to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So we take local actions and we take global actions, and we have a lot of fun with each other, and we get out of the room within one hour. The program's an hour, but if you, if you include the, the, the wine and cheese party we do ahead of time for half an hour, it's an hour and a half. And it's fun, and people feel reinforced that there's more people like them. And i got to tell you, when we started, we had no idea it would grow to over 100 people a month. So start, you know, get one other person in your living room. Start a discussion group, a World Business Academy discussion group, just two of you. And take this program, as I said earlier, use it as a source of information. If you want to challenge something, challenge it. If you want to add something, add it. If you want a clarification, ask for clarification. Send it in to us, and we'll get you, we'll get you back an answer. And we'll support you in becoming active in your community. And i got to tell you, it can't be more important because of the issues that are on the ballot and, and, and what's at stake for the country in the November elections in the United States. Unfortunately, for those of you listening overseas, the United States is now in a situation where it looks like we may have another political crisis of massive proportions. People need to know that. There are some positive signs. I've just, I'll report later in the show. But for the most part, we're looking at a real possibility of a serious uh, conflict, once again, between the legislature and the executive branch of government here. Uh, more on that later. Great. Well, yeah, I, I want to move now to the U.S. economy, Ronaldo. There's a lot of factors going on uh, and coming together in a way that you've identified. So that includes the minimum wage and the uh, politics on that that are shifting. Um, and the recent statements from Janet Yellen and the Fed yesterday, uh, as well as the price of oil and the subsequent price of gas that continues to stay much lower than uh, the oil companies would like. So could you weave those together for us? Sure. Let's, let's, uh, and let's start with the oil company thing, because we've been talking a lot about it on the show. We've been saying for many months, whether you believe morally it's wrong to own oil company stocks or not, which I always have, it's a bad economic decision, I've been saying for many months, because oil company stocks are peaked out, going sideways, are going to come down. So if you're just smart about your money, and apparently the University of California regents are not that smart, because I understand just the other day, they decided not to divest of oil stocks in their $91 billion endowment. I think that's a foolish economic decision, apart from the political lack of wisdom there. So they're going to lose money. They're going to lose a lot of money. And, and, and why I want people to know that is because the price of oil today is $93 a barrel. And it should not be anywhere near that with a, with a, a battle raging in, in the Middle East. And for those of you who think that the ISIS rebels are, are um, exporting a tremendous amount of oil to make up for what's gone offline with Iraq, they aren't. I mean, two to three million dollars a day is a lot if you're trying to equip an army. But two to three million dollars a day translates into like tens of thousands of barrels, not even hundreds of thousands. So you're talking about thousands of barrels of oil being sold in the black market in, in Iraq, nothing like the millions of, of barrels uh, that were flowing. So Iraq is not contributing to the oil glut right now. In fact, what's, con what's causing it is not a decrease in supply. It's a decrease in demand. And that's largely because the United States has become so much more fuel efficient, particularly in its car fleet, in its automobile fleet. Um, and that's, by the way, being mirrored in other countries like Germany, which is now very fuel efficient, and like Germany, which is 30% renewables. So as the renewables kick in, by the way, there's a massive North Sea wind farm that goes online in the next three or four months. And when that goes online, Germany is going to be even that much freer from fossil fuels. 
and particularly coal in the case of Germany. So what I'd like to share with people are there's some fascinating economic forces in the U.S. at work. Here's what they are, which people have not been paying attention to. The consumer price index dropped this month. It's lower. The cost of our food, measured in terms of inflation, is is at 0.2% because the fuel that is a huge component of our food is dropping in price. And the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, it's lower because the fuel that we use to fuel our cars is dropping. Now, what's causing that is not just that we're using natural gas in for our electricity increasingly. That's not what's doing it. What's doing it is we aren't using as much petroleum. And every time you don't use that dollar to, to, to pay for the monopolist oil companies, actually they're shared oligopoly, when you save that dollar that you don't put in your gas tank, that's a dollar for bread. That's a dollar for milk. That's a dollar for strawberries. Okay, it's a dollar for a new shirt or a new blouse. So what's happening is, even as the real wages in the United States are starting to grow finely, inflation isn't. Why? Because we're taking back some of that ill-gotten gains, that extraction of wealth that's been going on from the oil companies. So you have this anomalous situation, which Janice Yellen, the head of the Fed, had to speak about yesterday. And I haven't seen one sophisticated commentator yet connect these dots. And the dots are simply these. It turns out if you want to have low inflation, real wage growth, and an accelerating economy, the way you do it is just stop giving so much money to the oil companies. And, and by the way, one of the uh, you'll be hearing more about this in future shows. One of our associates here at the Academy is working with me on an article we're going to be putting out. And we're going to advocate, um, as some national groups are already, that we, we, we create a fee, we charge a fee on carbon. Let's just say, for example, it's um, 50 cents a gallon on gas. It'll be coal, we'll have a different one, natural gas. So we charge for the fact that some people are using energy and causing it to destroy the planet from a climate change point of view. And instead of giving that money to the government, we're going to say give it back to all the citizens in America. So if you use less gas, you'll get a, you'll get a bonus, you'll get a benefit, because you get cash back. If you use more, you'll be paying more of the fee. But, and this is not a carbon tax because it doesn't go to the government. It goes to you and me, just like they do in Alaska. Every barrel of oil they pump in Alaska, the citizens of Alaska get a check at the end of the year. Why don't we all get a check here in America? A great idea. And while we're at it, why don't we raise the minimum wage? Because if the minimum wage goes up, it will further accelerate our economy at a time of low inflation, and it will cause our economy to grow. Now, here's a fascinating thing that no one's noticed. There are five states in the United States which currently have on the ballot raising the minimum wage. Now, several states, as you know, already have done so, California being one of them. Five states have it on the November ballot to basically legislate an increase in the, in the um, minimum wage. In all five states, even the Republican candidates have come around to supporting those initiatives. Even though Congress, the Republican Congress, blocks raising the minimum wage at the federal level. Why is it that the Republicans in those five states have recently all come around to supporting the raise of the minimum wage in their state? Very simply this. People realize they have not been dealt with fairly. People realize that the little guy has not gotten a break. So I say let's give the little guy two breaks. One, let's raise that minimum wage, which will increase the economy overall, giving the little guy an even bigger break. And number two... Let's let him, who tends to use less fuel than someone who is wealthy, let's give a check back to everybody in America for all the money we collect on carbon. And let's let the people who are using the most carbon, creating the worst problem for our atmosphere, pay the biggest, basically, trash fee. Call it a trash fee. And give that trash fee to the rest of us, well, to everyone. So if you're paying a big trash fee, your check coming back won't be as big as what you paid. If If you're creating less trash you'll actually get free money because you'll be getting some of the money that someone else is paying for the trash they created. I hope this concept is easy to understand. We will be writing it up in a paper with an associate of ours named John Steed, 
And I'm looking forward to seeing how the public gravitates to getting a check every year, just like they do in Alaska. Now, that's a Republican state, by the way. And that program in Alaska was put in by a Republican governor. So I believe that we have a situation here where the Democrats and the Republicans post-November could come together and say, you know what? Why don't we do that on a federal level? Because at a federal level, it really has the ability to change the, the dynamics. So I would say the, the, the wrap-up for me of the consumer economy and the U.S. economy today is it will continue to grow a little bit faster in the next quarter than it is in this quarter. It continues to be hobbled by the lack of stimulus spending, which it's been hobbled by since the beginning of the Obama administration. It continues to be choked off, and we continue to do things that shoot ourselves in the feet, like passing the highway bill but having it expire again in March. I was very, very pleased to see that an overwhelming vote of the Congress yesterday passed the re, um, recertification of the Export-Import Bank, which, I mean, Republicans were voting against that. It's like, wait a minute, the Republicans create that. That's like a number one Republican agenda is keep lots of money in the Export-Import Bank because it gives us the ability to lubricate sales of our merchandise to other countries around the world. So the way we get to finance, the way we finance exports is through the Export-Import Bank, as you, the name would imply. And we couldn't get the Congress to reauthorize it until just yesterday. It kind of quietly went through and no one was watching. And I think it went through because the Republicans didn't want to be on record opposing it when the November elections are around the corner. Just like the Republicans in those five states where the minimum wage is rising don't want to be on, on record as being against the little guy. And by the way, I'm not saying that the Democrats are the best thing in the world. But on these economic issues where it's taking care of the middle class and getting more people into the middle class, I regret to say that the Republicans have a completely 100% bad record, and the Democrats seem to be in favor of the little guy, and people need to know that. Now, I would love to see the Republicans get out in front of that, because I would like a vigorous two-party system. I'd like to see the Republicans say, you know what? We believe in the marketplace. How could we unleash capitalism in this marketplace to really rebuild the economy and start closing that gap between the rich and poor? So, so, so that 80% of the benefits that have occurred in this economy since 2008, that great recession, 80% of the benefits have gone to the top 1.5%. Well, that's crazy. It should be going to all the people who got crushed in the 2008 event, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. So I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how we can help the little guy because I know that makes the economy stronger and ultimately the wealthy – do better too. So it's not about trickle down. That's a completely flawed theory. Everybody by now knows it. It's about building from the bottom up. And that's what this organization, the World Business Academy, stands for. I see that happening despite the opposition over the next quarter. I'm very concerned about what happens post November. If there's a complete deadlock in the Senate, we'll visit that after the elections. Yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty concerned about that too. You know, the, the statisticians are now saying that the likelihood of Democrats keeping control of the Senate is pretty high. But uh, what we, what we the, the problem with the Republican takeover would be in, there, there isn't a real partnership in Congress anymore. Senate, the Senate used to be the final bastion of bipartisanship um, where people could actually get things done. And that has ground to a halt ever since the rules change uh, because Republicans were filibustering pretty much every uh, executive appointment. But we're in a real pickle here, Ronaldo, and I've been talking about it with friends uh, behind the scenes and, and trying to figure out what the what the f next 10 years of the U.S. looks like if we can't get through this total gridlock uh, that has just seemed to escalate since essentially the end of the uh, Bush administration's hold over Congress in 2010, I believe that was. I'm oh, sorry, 2006. Um, uh, that brings up an, another thing that's happening right now that you wanted to get in here, which is the situation in Scotland and their uh, their ex potential extraction from the United Kingdom. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, and by the way, I, I don't know if we're going to go back to gold bonds and stocks or not. If we're going to let that go over today, if we that's are, that's going fine. Next. No, that's where we're okay. going next. Okay, so then let's take Scotland. First of all, um, is, 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 is Matt just reflected the, the chances of the Democrats losing control of the Senate? It's about. A little about 50-50 at this point. I, I was looking at Nate Silver's recent prediction. So I, I, I would say if there was ever a time for everybody I – mean, and by the way, I've never missed an election in my life, and I'm 67 years old. There's no excuse for not voting, whatever your point of view is. Get to the polls. You know, in a democracy, it's the thing you have to do if you care at all about the outcome. 
And in this particular race where it's so tight in so many states now, for, particularly for the Senate, but also for House races, um, you know, we have a we have a really, really uh, great congresswoman in, 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 in the district, district adjacent to ours named Julia Brownlee, who is in the fight of her life because she's a first-term congresswoman. And her fight is in part because she's uh, on the Energy Committee and she's an environmentalist. And it's like, wait a minute, everybody in the district ought to be for that. I don't care what they're, they're Democrat or Republican, what we want is an environmentalist in Congress. We want people thinking about the climate change issue. And the same thing applies to the Scottish issue. So right now, Scotland is a 50-50 flip, right? Um, you got this opportunity in Scotland, uh, and it could go either way. Uh, I am impressed that economists as disparate as Greenspan and Krugman uh, have a common view that, uh, that there probably would be an economic hiccup for Scotland. Fairly minor, by the way, but a hiccup. I'm also impressed by the breakdown of what we think is, for, I call it sovereign nation status. See, people have become overly attached to the idea of a sovereign nation. First of all, it's only been around since the 1600s. It's not like it's been here forever. And if you look at the prior history of human civilization, going back to the Greeks, in fact, in many cases back to the Egyptians, but certainly back as far as the Greeks, the world was a collection of city-states. Why? Because when you, when you were in a city-state, you, you're close enough to where every action matters that you're more engaged in the outcome. If you were an Athenian, you didn't have to be told to participate in the democracy. You wouldn't think it'd be unthinkable. You wouldn't. And, 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 and that collection of city-states, which would sometimes form in alliances and the alliances would move around, that was the dominant form of political organization until basically the 1670s, 1680, when the beginnings. The Hanseatic League was the beginning of the modern nation-states of Europe, starting with Germany. Now, that idea of a sovereign nation-state, it may have been valuable in the 17th, late 17th, early 18th, 19th, even the 20th century. I don't think it works anymore. I don't think that you can have the same cultural buy-in on what's important, what trade-offs you want to make. Let me give you an example. If the only measurement, this is why I don't like the Scottish thing happening the way it's going. If the only measurement is GDP, and there was a claim that, well, maybe Scotland won't do quite as well in GDP. Maybe they'll drop 10%. What if the criteria wasn't GDP? What if the criteria was joy of living? What if the criteria was Scotland wants a higher education budget than the UK does for, the rest of, for, for Britain? What if the criteria was... We'd rather have a culture we can buy into and face our challenges as a common citizenry rather than have remote control from a distant source, right. London. Right. So I'm really for any group that peacefully wants to disband from the nation state they currently belong. Remember, the Scots have only been part of Britain for 300 years. That's not as far back as the Athenians. The Athenians, they go back more than 2,000 years. So I'm thinking that if Scotland makes it great, it will be a good prototype for all manner of other situations to arise, which could bring greater peace, stability, and well-being because we won't have the same common denominator GDP equation as the only thing we measure by, which I think is very, very false. Last point. We've got a situation right now, I believe it's critical, that in this Scottish referendum, we have the opportunity to address the possibility that we will actually begin to rethink the nature of what we call those nation states in the first place. And I would urge people, please go get a copy of the paper I wrote nine years ago, in which I said, apparently correctly, that there is no country called Iraq. It's basically a country, one-third Shia, one-third, I called it Shiistan, one-third Sunnistan, and one-third Kurdistan. Now, we spent $3 trillion. Lord knows how many people died on both sides of that, on all sides of that conflict. How many tens of thousands have, have, have been wounded? We, will, we, we won't in my lifetime get back the cost of maintaining the veterans who were injured there. And we did all that because we bought the artificial assumption there's something called a nation state. And it, by the way, it is inconceivable to me, and I said this nine years ago, that Kurds would not have their own country in the north. They do now. It's inconceivable to me that the Shias from Baghdad south, Basra, 
aren't the same exact people as Iran. They are. I mean, Maliki came from Tehran after 10 years. He was appointed by the Shah, by being appointed by the um, supreme leader, the Ayatollah in Iran. He was allowed to become president of Iraq because they agreed to it. Iran had control over who got to be in that office. So that's really one country, you know, from Basra South all the way over to Iran. That's all Shiistan. And the Sunni stand portion goes across the middle of Iraq all the way into Syria. And what we need to do, and I will be doing a paper on this shortly, about the multi-part solution, multi-state solution, we need to recognize that there's going to be a Sunni state there. And let's encourage our Arab Sunni friends to de-emphasize violence and help them set that state up as a normal state. Because the people in that area, whether on one side of the Syrian border or the other, they think of themselves as Sunnis. They don't think of themselves as Syrians. They don't think of themselves as Iraqis. And by the way, they're organized at the village level. Okay? So what I want to see is some rationality here. And if we stop trying to enforce nation-state sovereignty on people, you don't have a mistake like Iraq. And you have an easy solution for how to end Iraq. And by the way, how to get rid of ISIS in the process. So stay tuned in. You'll you'll be hearing more specifics on that as we go along. But I'm really, really concerned that if we properly analyze the choice the Scots have, and someone were to say to me, and I was Scotch, I'll tell you what, uh, you'll you'll drop 10% in GDP, but you'll feel better about your school system. You'll feel better about your local health care delivery system. You'll feel better about uh, your ability to control your own destiny. I'd vote for a separation. I don't know if they're going to or yeah. not. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, we're actually recording on the day of the vote, so we'll know this evening or maybe tomorrow morning. Uh, but I agree with you uh, in general on this point that I think that more democracy is better. And what we've seen from a relatively insidious takeover of uh, democracy at almost every federal and I'd say most of the state levels by corporate power and by uh, influence peddling and revolving doors is that the real democracy that still exists in America, at least, is really centered in the local regions, you know, your county, school board, uh, city governments. And I think that that when we start talking about increasing democracy, it means giving people a real voice. That's the way to increase voter turnout. The the Scottish uh, pollsters are are anticipating 100% participation. I mean, that's a level of voting that you don't get anywhere outside of dictatorships. This is absolutely has everyone's attention in Scotland and is making citizens out of everyone in Scotland in a different way than any, than any other issue has. Uh, so I'm inspired by it. Either way, I think it's a huge shot over the bow of uh, England and a really important lesson to be learned that you have to represent everyone in your country and you can't allow uh, relatively undemocratic outcomes uh, from years of voting, you know, the, the the Scottish people have been voting for labor and are very against the Tories, but continue to be ruled by the Tories. So what do you think they're going to do? Obviously, they're going to try to work around that. Yeah, and I'll tell you, and, and to your point, Matt, the closer people are to the elected officials, meaning the, the, the more homogeneous the culture, the less corruption you're going to have. There was a great book that just came out called Corruption in America by a woman named Zephyr Teachout, who's a uh, she teaches law at... Uh, I'm going to say Dartmouth or someplace like that. I'm not sure where she teaches law. Um, but she be, she was a, a New York gubernatorial campaign uh, can, uh, candidate who came from nowhere with virtually no money and basically made a horse race out of, um, out of the, the Democratic nomination for governor against Cuomo. And what I, what I find fascinating about this is in the book, what she's saying is, We've allowed corruption to become so massive that when it comes to before the Supreme Court as a case like Citizens United or McCutcheon versus the FEC, the court isn't even able to tell how corrupting it is. I mean, to quote her, she said the court is completely just not paying attention here. If you would ask any politician, they would tell you that they spend half their time raising money, which forces them to corruption. And it's not going to be like the quid pro quo. It's just you've got to do favors to the people who gave you money last time because you're going to spend half your time asking for more money in the future. And, and if the job of a politician is to have three things it has to do, number one, they have to govern theoretically, which we're not doing well, because number two, we're raising too much money and we're being influenced by it. And number three, we're supposed to listen to our constituency, so to speak, and reflect it back as the public will. How, if, if half your time is spent for money, you don't have a whole lot of time left to governing and listening. 
And the result is our politics is getting more and more estranged. And a breakup vote that brings that political structure closer to the local level is the best way to send the message, politics, you're not listening. You're not listening to us, and we're going to have to change the system. And I believe that's what's happening, and that's what I believe citizen democracy is about. And that's why I advocated at the beginning of this program people getting together, even if it's just two people to start with, for a monthly meeting. And what we do here at California and Santa Barbara, we set it for the second Thursday of every month so that everybody knows ahead of time what it's going to be and when and where. Ronaldo, uh, I want to I want to break in there. Uh, Teach Out is a professor at, at Fordham Law School, and yeah, I, I would recommend everyone if you Fordham, haven't heard about that story. Her influence on the race with Cuomo in the primary was just astounding, and it's a shot over the bow of the entire Democratic political establishment, in my opinion, and it has implications for the 2016 race. But we unfortunately don't have time to go into that right now, Ronaldo, because I want to get to the lightning round. Um, the, the Lightning Round is a service of the World Business Academy, which, is, as I said before, is a nonprofit organization. We give this outlook on markets without any agenda, strictly as a public service to our listeners. Um, Ronaldo, do you want to kick the segment off and talk a little bit about the Academy Fund? Uh, I sure do. And the, first of all, as you know, we started a Academy-advised fund uh, together with First Affirmative. It's a historic fund. Uh, the Academy does not receive any fees whatsoever, directly or indirectly, from this fund. But we do advise First Affirmative as to what they should put in the fund in order to best protect our listeners. Uh, First Affirmative, as a concession to the Academy, has lowered their normal uh, amount of money that they ha- you have to have to get into the fund. You can now get into their fund with as little as $25,000. If you like what you hear on this program, like when I started telling people to sell oil stocks months and months and months ago, you would have benefited economically if you were in the fund because we don't own oil stocks. Uh, many months ago, I started talking about the, the, what I saw as the, pl- of the plot of the, the plight of the bond market, which, by the way, has had a further correction as of today because the bond market is not doing well as a result of Yellen's comments yesterday, and it shouldn't. Well, we got out of bonds, and we have almost no bonds in our fund, and you would have benefited from that. Um, the equity markets have continued to advance Nicely, uh, the S&P has hit a all-time high, over 2,000. Uh, we're loaded up on S&P in our fund. So if you're interested in getting a fair but reasonable rate of return, meaning you should get a between 3 to 5% return, and you want to preserve your capital so you don't lose it, which is the number one objective of the fund, preservation of capital, if you've got 25000 saved somewhere in an IRA, I really strongly urge you to contact the Academy. We'll send you to First Affirmative. Again, we don't make any fee. Any, there's no economic incentive for us whatsoever. We just pass you through to First Affirmative, and we're grateful they created a fund you could invest in that basically are, that, that it is controlled by the, uh, the values this show talks about and the insights. So, for example, you know I've been telling people forever, don't buy gold. It's not time yet. Well, glad I've been doing that because gold still hasn't gone anywhere. I'll tell you when it is time, but it isn't time in the foreseeable future. We've told people about stocks. The ones who got into the fund have done very well. We told them to get out of bonds. They got out of bonds. They did well. Uh, Right now, um, we continue to see downward pressure, surprisingly, on the housing market. But I think that's a function of people just don't have much money. Uh, And I think that that pressure, even though we have phenomenal interest rates for the housing market, in fact, one major a uh, lending source just dropped their mortgage rates down into the high 3% mark. So there's there's a there's a there's a real chance here that people could start to get the little people, the, the average people, the people listening to the show of modest means. There's there are places where you can put your modest savings, 25,000 or more. Hopefully you've got that in the Naira. Hopefully you've got that much saved for either your kids' college education or you've got that much saved for your your own retirement. But apart from that, what we're trying to tell people is watch these signs in the economy that we watch. We want you to observe why inflation is low, even though the income of the little guys coming up, despite all the baloney you were told that if people in the, in the bottom had more income, it would somehow create more inflation. It hasn't, and it won't. Okay. So I want people to get that there's a way to, to look at these things that are neutral from personal gain. That's why I don't make any money off it. I don't want to be influenced by my own possible gain or loss. I want you to do the same. And if you become wise enough, you'll know why is it a good time if I'm going to ever buy a house now to buy it rather than maybe two years from now. Why is it a good time to consider expanding my business versus not, depending on what line of business you're in? And by the way, I would welcome if any listener has questions about specific industries in the U.S. or Europe, 
please send them in. We'll respond to them. We're happy to share that kind of micro as well as macroeconomic information. So look for the U.S. economy to continue growing a little bit tiny bit faster than it is right now. Uh, we make no predictions post-November until we see what the results are. I'm, I'm really concerned that the Democrats could lose control of the Senate and the Congress, which is almost completely locked up now, would become even more so for the next two years, causing a, an unbelievable economic uh, disaster in my mind. So there's a lot of things we can do. And most of all, what we can do is take responsibility for our own future. That's the most important thing. Is there any other specific uh, thing in the lightning round you want to touch on? I think that's great, Ronaldo. And I just want to mention to everyone who's listening, if you would like more information about the Academy's fund at First Affirmative, uh, email us at info at worldbusiness.org. Again, that's I-N-F-O at worldbusiness.org. And we'll be happy to send you some information about that. Uh, on behalf of the World Business Academy, thank you for joining us, and please come to our website, again, worldbusiness.org, to connect with us in between shows. And keep Tune selling those oil, and Matt, tell them to keep selling those oil stocks, because if they keep selling them, and buy, or, or donate them to the Academy, we'll take depreciated value, you'll get a great deduction, and we'll sell them. But yeah, get rid of those oil good. stocks before they go any lower. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Ronaldo, and to our audience, tune in next month for the next episode of New Business Paradigms, and please do share this link with your friends and family. Until then, have a great week. Thank you.